Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby, Vegas! You're either in or you're out. Right now. My best mates are going to Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Las Vegas, here we go! Pack your bags and get ready. You're going to Vegas with someone who knows Vegas inside and out. This is Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi, the podcast. If you've listened to the show much, you know my favorite all-time film is It's a Wonderful Life. Now, it's not Christmas time, but it always strikes me when you meet somebody that really has touched so many lives and has done so many wonderful things. And when you want to talk about a wonderful life, you're going to meet somebody here. Her name is Diana Eden. She lives in Vegas. She teaches actually at UNLV, but she's had an incredible life and has just released a new book of her memoirs. It's called Stars in Their Underwear, My Unpredictable Journey from Broadway Dancer to Costume Designer for some of Hollywood's biggest stars. Boy, that's no question. What a life you had, Diana, and uh, started out in England, and you were hearing bombs overhead as a little, little kid. (laughs) Uh, Yes, I was. I was. I was uh, born into quite a uh, tempestuous time. It brought you in so many different places, so let's kind of run through that. You started out trying to be an actress and doing some of this great stuff, and you, you, you made some real headway there. So you come over to America. How do you get started in all this? Well, um, you know, my mother took me to dance class at an early age, like a lot of little girls, and I loved it. And then she took me to uh, London to the theater to see a real ballet performed, and that sealed the deal. I mean, I was absolutely riveted and wanted nothing more than to be a dancer for the rest of my life. So um, I started my training, and then my family immigrated to Canada when I was uh, 10, and I continued my training and uh, was completely focused on being a ballet dancer and actually had a little success in that field at an early age. And then became an actress, and uh, you got Mm -hmm. into costume design. But before we get into all that, one of the things that I really liked about the book is your honesty. I mean, you had highs and lows, and you share all that stuff. It, I mean, it wasn't a per- it was a wonderful life, but it wasn't a perfect life, right? I mean, you had a lot of right. different issues in your time. Well, you know, it's a struggle. Life is a struggle, and you know, I wanted to share the really wonderful moments that I've had, extraordinary moments, really, and uh, the wonderful people I've worked with, but you know, um, when you're starting out and you you you're young and you're ambitious and you're poor and, you know, all these things, it's it's not easy. And, um, you know, there were many times where I was very lonely and very depressed and, and uh, wasn't sure what was going to happen to me. And uh, But I just kind of put my head down and kept going and life kept taking slightly different turns and I would follow those and um, eventually... You know, things started to turn around for me, and I became a costume designer, and that seemed to be the area in which I really blossomed and became successful. And that's where Las Vegas comes in, because you started working with Anne Margaret. Talk a little about that. First of all, she was a big star at that time. I was a big fan as a little child. Oh, I, yeah. I got to say, I was a big fan. Oh, of yeah. She was a huge star. Well, she had sort of burst onto the scene um, with uh, Bye Bye Birdie. 
and some of her early movies in Las Vegas, and um, dancer, singer, actress. Um, so she had a nightclub act, which was one of the big nightclub acts of, of the time, uh, with dancers and singers and scenery and, you know, 33-piece orchestra. And uh, her husband, Roger Smith, produced it, and it had all of the top talent. And uh, I was lucky enough to be hired to take care of the dancers on the show because I, having been a former dancer, had experience with uh, what dancers needed in their wardrobe. So uh, I would come up, um, you know, to Las Vegas and stay at Caesar's Palace with the rest of the company and go down to the uh, showroom every night and help get the costumes ready and it was absolutely fabulous. And then you stayed in Vegas with working on uh, Jubilee, which I remember, Don Arden's Jubilee, with yes. Bob Mackey. What an opportunity that was. And boy, that just skyrocketed your career in this world. Exactly. Well, it was through Anne Margaret that I met Bob Mackey. Um, and he had then asked me to be his assistant on Jubilee. And uh, that was a big, big, big project. And um, I spent, I think it was about 10 months um, in L.A. at his uh, business place, um, helping build the costumes and get everything ready. And then a group of us came up to Las Vegas for eight weeks to do all of the fittings because those costumes all had to be fit individually, every single costume. And it was a huge cast. And uh, so I was living at the MGM Grand. And interestingly enough, you also have some uh, Las Vegas history regards with the MGM fire. And it was just fascinating. I I, I could feel the fear. Your description of it was incredible. Kind of run us through that day because I I remember reading that. and You can't put it down because you can really feel it, especially because you have no idea that's coming. (laughs) Oh, absolutely not. I went to bed the night before thinking I was going to get a good night's sleep and uh, be ready to continue the next day. But I was awakened by uh, a bump on my door, somebody kind of knocking, uh, you know, bumping into my door. And there was just a strange sound of people running. And it didn't sound like anything I'd heard before. There was a really weird kind of panic to it. So I poked my nose out, and, and the hallway was full of smoke, and people were running. And um, so I knew that, you know, I had to get dressed pretty quickly and uh, get out myself. So that was my main intent. I didn't even have time to put on shoes. I just threw some basic clothes on, grabbed my bag, and went into the hallway, um, followed the crowd who were heading toward the um, fire escape. No, that fire was very important in the entire tourism business and the big buildings. You know, now you would expect to be woken up maybe by on a loudspeaker with definite instructions. And when you got it, I was amazed at the fact that you were kind of on your own. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There was nothing. And actually, the fire um, really changed things so much in... Uh, the building of hotels and safety standards. Um, and it happened quite quickly in Las Vegas um, after the MGM fire. All of the codes were changed. Uh, things, I mean, you ask any fireman in, in Las Vegas, and if, if he was around during that time, he'll tell you, oh, yeah, uh, you know, 
definitely things were changed. And if he's a younger fireman, I've even talked to younger firemen. They said, oh, yes, we know about that fire. That changed everything. Well, and I thought it was interesting. So you throw on clothes and you think to yourself, okay, I normally go to the elevator. And fortunately, you turn the other direction because you'd have had problems if you'd have gone that way. Well, yes. And, you know, if, if someone says, well, everybody knows you shouldn't go toward the elevator. The thing is, I'd been at the hotel nearly eight weeks, and that's the only direction I'd ever taken out of my room. So my natural instinct was to go out of my room and turn toward the uh, elevator. Why would I go the other direction? There was nothing down there except, of course, the fire escape. <laughs> so, you know, thankfully people were saying, no, no, it's worse. It's too, it's too smoky down there. Yeah. And once I got outside, of course, I saw this black, black smoke, uh, thick, wild, fury, you know, a fierce smoke uh, rising up um, what was actually the elevator shafts because they act like a chimney. As soon as you got all off the and out on the street, you got out of the fire escape mm-hmm. and out on the street, you must mm-hmm. have thought to yourself, I mean, do you break down then all of a sudden because you, you're strictly working on uh, adrenaline until you get yeah. out of there? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I had a strange reaction. Um, I think it might have been from, you know, growing up during the war and and knowing that you had to deal with all the, you know, the bombs and everything every single day. Instead of being freaked out, I just thought, I must organize a place where the rest of the crew can come and be safe. So I marched across the street and went into Maxim's, which was a, a small hotel that's not there anymore, and uh, asked for a room and went up, uh, uh, lay down for a minute, and uh, then turned on the TV. And of course, the TV had the hotel, the MGM, <laughs> going up in flames, and helicopters were arriving, and there was incredible noise. So um, I realized I should uh, go back out and see if I could find the rest of of the uh, crew because we had 13, 14 people up from Los Angeles. Wow, an incredible story. You you lost somebody uh, dear to you guys, didn't you, in that fire? Yeah, yeah, very sadly, yes. We we lost one of our um, key members. She um, didn't make it out. She was found near the elevator shaft, and it was um, carbon monoxide poisoning. Yeah, that's really... And we very, very nearly lost some of our other uh, members. They were all on the top floor. And ironically, I I had been on the 23rd floor when we first came up, and then for some reason they moved my room, and and I was moved down to the 11th floor. And at the time I was mad because I wanted to be up there with all my buddies. But that is where tremendous amount of um, uh, fatalities happened because the uh, smoke went up and... Um, couldn't escape, and so it started spreading out um, in the yes. high floors. It's just awful. Well, yeah. your, your your career continued, though, and you one I think is fascinating, because I saw some of her um, act afterwards, and what you did with Diana Ross was amazing. I, I mean, her, her singing is great, and of course I remember her growing yeah. up with the Supremes and so forth, but what you did on that tour, you kind of put in her in her outfits 
kind of a whole new meaning in a sense to some of her music and she was big in at that time i remember you know i remember cause she'd do a quick motown review because she really yeah, wanted to get yeah. to her new stuff right and yeah right you mm-hmm. had her almost like like um, i think you describe it like a bird taking off and it really was true it was fascinating <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was at the uh, central park concert um, when the wind came up and it, it was so um, so strong, we knew that a huge storm was about to descend on us. And I was able to um, call her from the side of the stage and uh, she finally saw me and I put on an orange cape that um, uh, she had as, as one of her cover-ups. And it was just a light chiffon cape. And it's loaded out um you know like a flame and uh, after you know the 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 rain and the thunder and the lightning and everything um you know and obviously the the concert couldn't continue uh but the next morning that picture of her in her orange jumpsuit and the orange cape it was in newspapers around the world on the front page. That's it was fantastic. such a dynamic image. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and when you work with somebody like a Diana Ross, do you mm-hmm. kind of work together on kind of a theme on that? I mean, everybody sees those Bob Mackey things and thinks, oh, well, you know, he just does outrageous stuff and so forth. But, but it matters. I get it. I mean, is that something you learn from him? And is that something you sit down with the artist and try to work out something that can really play into the theme that they're trying to present? with Diana Ross, her gowns were all um, based on ideas that she had and executed by uh, Bob Mackey and Ray Agayan, his partner. Um, When I was working with Diana, I was still at the early stages of my career. So I was there mainly to take care of the costumes, to do all of her quick changes, to be right by her side before she went on, as soon as she came off. So you know the 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 orange cape was a fluke. I just <laughs> I just had the feeling that if I could get that on her, you know, it was going to be dynamic, and it was. There's just so many things we we don't have time to go through, but it would be incredible. Mm-hmm. Even like you talk about the inauguration of uh, Lyndon Johnson, and I found that fascinating because yeah. it's one yeah. of those once in a lifetime things, and to see all that talent in one place has to be incredible. Oh, yeah. Oh, it was. It was like every pop icon of the 1960s was on the bill and you know to be backstage and to see all of these people it was absolutely amazing and you know i also felt a sense of accomplishment because i had only arrived in the u.s from canada you know a few years before i i guess three two two years three years before um and had a bit of a struggle to get my green card but here i was you know, uh, at the inauguration of the president. So. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> and, and, the, and the stars you've dealt with. I mean, uh, you talk a lot about Carol Burnett in the book, and I think it, it was great because that really nice person that you think of her, it sounded like she really was. I mean, that's really legitimate. She yeah. is a very nice person. She, yes, yes. I, she really is. She's a decent person. Um, when I worked with her on that show in on Broadway, it was a terrible time in her life. We didn't agree with all the decisions she made, but, you know, you you can't dislike Carol. She is a decent, fabulous person. And, you know, years later, I would run into her, and, and she would greet you, you know, like she'd known you all her life. She wasn't above things. She, she um, 
she remembered your name and, and she was warm and wonderful. That's great. So finally, there's a great story about the love of your life, and unfortunately he passed. Yeah. But just a great – and again, it, it really shows, again, just how interesting your life was. Highs and lows, just like you say, it, it's not easy. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not unique. I think everybody had highs and lows. And, and um, you know, nobody has a, a dream life, a perfect life. And uh, uh, many people lose the love of their life. Um, I'm not unique or special in that way, but you know, sharing the story, I think, is useful. People, people relate, people understand, and people can live vicariously through the good times and the bad times. Well, and, it, uh, but by the time you get to that in the book, we're rooting for you. You come on, well, let's let's hope. You know, it was like reading a novel. You know, let's hope this ends well. <laughs> it was a great, it was a great romance, and it was there was no yeah. bad part other than obviously the passing. But aside yeah. from that, it's just a great story, which leads you to Las Vegas a final time here. Well, you were already there, but now working with the UNLV. Talk about what you teach and uh, what you're doing right now. Well, I um, I love uh, being around young people, um, especially as I'm at the other end of the spectrum. <laughs> I find their energy and their passion and their love of uh, film and all is just wonderful, and I'm, I'm there to encourage them. I'm there also to teach them something that isn't taught that many places, which is um, how to costume design for a film. There's a wonderful theater department, and they also have a costume department, but they are being trained to design primarily for theater. And the world of film is very different. We have a wonderful film community in this city. Uh, we produce films. We have filmmakers. We, you know, I wish we had an even bigger film community. Uh, I wish films were made here more and more because all of these young grads from the film department needs, need a place to produce films. And uh, there have actually been a number of UNLV grads who have gone on and, and done very well in the business and have directed or acted in films. Well, we love having you here in the community, and this book, everybody's got to get. It is called Stars in Their Underwear. There's a lot more, but if you remember Stars in Their Underwear, you can get it on Amazon. Is that right, Diana? Yes, right. Mm -hmm. And you were saying that you were hoping that they'd be able to get it around casino gift shops and stuff. That's kind of the plan once we get back to normal. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I'm. You know, I've been online marketing, but... Um not able to get out and do book signings and guest appearances has been a little frustrating, but um, that's life as it is right now. But eventually I hope to have the book, um, the hard copy, in, in uh, brick-and-mortar places. Well, we hope to get it, but in the meantime, get it from Amazon, Stars in Their Underwear. Thanks so much, Diana. really enjoyed talking with you today. Thank you so much. I enjoyed you, too. You've been listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi, the podcast with new shows loaded twice weekly. Got a guest idea? Email us at info at VegasNeverSleeps.com and catch the show live every Sunday, 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific, coast to coast on the BizTalk Radio Network.